So let's look at our scripture. This is, um, the sermon is called Shameless Love, and this is Luke 7, 36 through 50. I preached this sermon in 2015, and uh, it was asked, and so I'm going to go ahead and preach it again. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who touched him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had, had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. And she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. It was a risky thing for the woman to do. Some would say a stupid thing. A prostitute, a former prostitute now, going to the house of a Pharisee. A place she wouldn't have been caught dead in just a week or two ago. She knew by going to that house she was opening up herself to shame and slander and humiliation. She knew possibly even danger to her life. For she knew what had happened with that woman that they caught in adultery, how they wanted to stone her and had brought her to Jesus. But she also knew how Jesus had responded to that woman, and she knew how Jesus would respond to her. You see, this former prostitute had heard Jesus, had heard the gospel and the message of free grace, and it had impacted her heart so much that she had left her former life and that she was set free from her sins. And she wanted to tell him what he had done in her life. She wanted to thank him. And so she asked around to where Jesus might be and discovered that he was going to the house of a Pharisee. So this was the night for her. This was the test. Would she go to the house of a Pharisee to tell Jesus thank you? She made up her mind and she walked toward the house. The truth of, my, of the matter, my friends, is this, that love is risky, isn't it? Everyone knows this who's ever 
fallen in love before. There's a risk to that. Indeed, the amount you're willing to risk shows the amount you're willing to love. And so what was it that motivated this woman to risk it all? The answer was forgiveness. This is a story about love and forgiveness. And it's the forgiveness that Jesus has shown to this woman that motivates her to love. It's the engine of her life that has caused her to leave her old life, to ignore the shame and humiliation that the Pharisees might heap upon her and to approach Jesus. See, forgiveness is powerful because it's so costly. Indeed, forgiveness is the highest love that God can give because it cost God the most. The forgiveness that this woman received from Jesus changed her life. And it's the same forgiveness that Jesus offers each one of us. And we, too, like this woman, have a choice to receive or to deny his offer of forgiveness. But if we choose to receive it, the result is love. The message of this sermon is simple. That God's forgiveness comes from his love. So let your love come from his forgiveness. I'll say it again. God's forgiveness comes from his love. So let your love come from his forgiveness. Well, forgiven love is powerful. We're going to look at forgiveness and what it does. Forgiveness does three things in this passage. Number one, forgiveness brings freedom. Number two, forgiveness brings love. But finally, number three, unforgiveness brings hate. So let's look at point number one. Forgiveness brings freedom. This Pharisee has invited Jesus to come to his home. The question is, why? Well, they want to find out the Pharisee and the Pharisee's friends, which presumably are other teachers of the law, whether Jesus is a prophet or not. Look at verse 39, where it says, surely this man is not a prophet. They're trying to get a handle on who this young rabble-rouser Jesus is. And possibly to put him in his place. He's an uneducated rabbi who's come out of nowhere, not out of the regular channels. And so they bring him and invite him to come into the home of Simon the Pharisee. And the woman hears of this, that Jesus is going to the house of Simon. And so she goes as well. There's really only two reasons why this woman would be going to the house of a Pharisee to see Jesus. Number one, she's either seeking forgiveness, or number two, she's already obtained forgiveness. The answer, as I've already shared, is that she's obtained forgiveness. Now, how do I know that? The reason I know that is because of the parable that Jesus shares in uh, verse 41, where there were two people who owed debts. One was 500 denarii, 500 days wages, and the other was 50. And because neither could pay, it says that this person canceled the debt of both of them. Jesus has canceled the debt of this woman, this prostitute, this former prostitute who's experienced so much condemnation in her lives. She's experienced the condemnation of others who look down upon her. She's experienced the condemnation of God because she knows that she's not acting, was not acting the way she was supposed to. And when the woman was committing sexual sin, and we know that sexual sin is a sin against self, 
And so she's experienced great self-condemnation in her life. And yet through hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, she has been freed of all of that condemnation. It's freedom that's driving her to walk that path to the house of the Pharisee. And what is it that she's going to do once she gets there? There's a purpose to her coming. We see that she has with her an alabaster flask of ointment. It's a type of perfume. Very expensive. Probably the most expensive thing that she owns. She intends to anoint him, his head and his hands, to honor him, to thank him as a way of physically lavishing love upon him. So the woman goes to the house right as Jesus must be getting there. And this is what she sees. Now, it's important for us to understand that much like in our culture, there are certain customs when you have a guest over. In America, when you have a guest over, you welcome them at the door. You ask if you can take their coat. You bring them into your home. You ask if they'd like something to drink. You maybe turn off the TV to communicate to them that all of my attention is to you. Well, in the Middle East, there are even more elaborate customs. There are three specifically that you're supposed to do. The first is you're supposed to greet the guest with a kiss, usually on the face, on the side, on the cheek. And then you're uh, to offer to wash their feet, either a servant or give them a bowl of water because this was a grimy uh, you know, uh, situation in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the streets and so forth. So most likely at the house of a Pharisee, there would be a servant and, and uh, there would be stools and you would sit and then the servant would come around and wash your feet. And finally, you'd offer them uh, olive oil. Olive oil is, was the soap of the Middle East. Indeed, there's still olive oil soap that you get in the Middle East. And that was for washing your hands, maybe washing your face. It was a way to cleanse uh, and sort of to be ready. These are the customs that are standard, obligatory customs in the Middle East. But what we see is that none of these things are offered to Jesus when he enters. Now, I can assure you that everyone else that was entering were getting these particular customs. So imagine one guest comes in and, G and uh, the host, Simon the Pharisee, kisses them and has them sit down. And, and, and uh, the servant washes the feet. Well, when Jesus comes in, there is no kiss. There is no water for his feet. There is no olive oil soap. In other words, what is going on is there is an intent to humiliate Jesus. This isn't a reception for Jesus. This is an examination of Jesus. It's their attempt to put him in his place. And when the woman sees this, the woman sees how Jesus, her Lord and Savior, is being treated. She begins to weep. Why is she weeping? Not for herself. She's forgiven. No, she's weeping for his dishonor and his humiliation. See, she knows what it's like to be humiliated. And she's sad because she knows that he does not deserve this treatment that he's getting. See, Jesus has given her dignity and worth. And to see these people trying to debase Jesus and to 
undignify him and take away worth is too much for her. And so she overflows with tears. See, this woman knew the depth of her debt. She knew that Jesus had paid it. She knew the height of her forgiveness. Jesus was the judge who had forgiven her of her debt. And she, she could not take how Jesus was being treated. Have you ever had a debt that you can't pay? I have. It's not a great feeling, by the way. In a former life, I invested some in real estate. At one time, I was partial owner with some other uh, friends of about uh, 13 different properties. But there was one that we bought, and we bought it all wrong. At around 2007, 2008, you remember when the real estate market turned and went really bad? And so we discovered that we were underwater with this property. And indeed, because my name was on the note and my partner abandoned me to it, I was left with a debt that I could not pay. But I had some friends of mine who were very, very good at what they do in real estate. And they came alongside me. And they figured out a way how to make this right, how to partition the property, how to, how to do it correctly so that I could get out of this debt, even though they didn't have to. They wanted to because they were my friends and they loved me. And so I remember we negotiated the short sale with the lender and got everything taken care of. And I remember feeling the weight of that debt off of my shoulders and how good that felt to me. We all have a debt may not be a financial debt, but we all have a spiritual debt. A debt that we owe God for our life. We try to minimize it. We try to disown it, but it's there. What Jesus does is allows us to examine the debt that we have. Because there's someone that's come alongside us that said, I'll pay it. For you, I'll step in, I'll stand in the gap much as he did for this woman. The payment is costly, is it not? It's death. But Jesus died on the cross that we might be free of our sins. And so we too, like this woman, must enter the courtroom. We must count our debt accurately. We must come to the conclusion, unlike the Pharisee, but like the prostitute, that we are a sinner in need of grace. We all need to turn to Christ and to hear the verdict of Jesus. To see the payment given for our sins on the cross. Because you can't see the size of the gift until you see the size of the sin forgiven. This forgiveness brought freedom to this woman. And this forgiveness can bring freedom to your heart and mine as well. Forgiveness brings freedom, but forgiveness also brings love, my second point. This woman had to do something to rectify this injustice. She couldn't just 
stop and walk away. And so there came this boldness over this woman. You know, forgiven love is greater than shame. This woman is now living for an audience of one. There's only one that matters in that room to her. And so what does she do? She looks at that perfume which she brought to anoint Jesus' head and hands. Now, we see that a couple things are happening here. The first is that Jesus is already reclining at table. I don't know if we have a slide of this, Logan. They don't, the way that people ate wasn't at a table. They ate at what was called a triclinium, three, three sides, basically. And it was kind of a raised couch, and you would kind of lay on your side, on your, either your left elbow or your right elbow, and you would use your other hand to take from the table and to eat. Jesus has been passed over. And so he really has nothing other to do than to go to the table. And so Jesus is already lying at the triclinium. And she looks at this perfume and she realizes, I can't anoint his head and his hands. It would be inappropriate for me to lie next to Jesus. So what does she do? It says, in standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. See, this woman wanted to fix what they hadn't done. She wanted to wash Jesus' feet. But if she had asked for water, they wouldn't have given it to her. And then she realized, I have water. I have my tears. And so she began to wash his feet with her tears. She could have asked for olive oil, but they wouldn't have given it to her. But then she realized, I have perfume here that I can use it to clean him. And so she began to anoint his feet with her perfume. There was no way to give the customary kiss that should have been given at the beginning. And she said, I can't kiss his head. And so she began to kiss his feet. Now, the most amazing thing of all, she had no towel to dry Jesus' feet. Well, actually, she did. She had a dress. She could have used it. They all wore a long tunic or cloak, but she didn't do that. It says that she wiped his feet with the hair of her head. Now, you all need to know something about the Middle East, and that is that women do not go out in public with their hair unbound. Maybe a little bit now, but certainly not back then. Indeed, it was grounds for divorce if a woman would go out into public with her hair unbound. They still have this custom. In fact, in Iran, the prime minister was asked why his country insisted on women covering their hair. And he replied, it is the obligation of the female to cover her head because women's hair exudes vibrations that arouse, mislead, and corrupt men. So the first time you would see a woman's hair unbound would be when you would marry her. It would be on the wedding night when she would unbind her hair for the first time. And so this woman who came with her hair bound unbinds her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. What is it that Jesus, that, that this woman was communicating to Jesus? 
This woman who had unbound her hair before for other men. What she was communicating to Jesus is, I am devoted to you above all. That in a way, you are like my husband. Not in a creepy way, not in a sexual way, but rather in a way of devotion. This woman didn't care what the Pharisees thought, what the teachers of the law. All she cared about is what Jesus thought. And Jesus would understand with this act of beauty that this woman was truly saved, that Jesus was her life. Was there a risk that Jesus would reject her? No, she knew. She knew his gospel. And the result of this act of of beauty, of love, of devotion, that they were seeking to humiliate him, but she actually ended up humiliating them by doing what they should have done. She affirms him, and he affirms her. All the Pharisees could say was, look at the great sins of this woman. But Jesus was saying, look at the great response of this woman, who's freely forgiven. And so she says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because extravagant forgiveness begets extravagant love. I don't know if you know the story of C.T. Studd, who was a British missionary from 1860 to 1931. He was very famous. He played for England's national cricket team. He was very educated. He went to Cambridge University. He was also very wealthy. He had received an inheritance of 30,000 pounds when his father passed away. But C.T. Studd heard the preaching of the gospel, and he was converted. And he realized that this world was fleeting, and he wanted to live solely for Christ. And so he wrote this poem, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed. You've heard parts of it. This is what it says. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. C.T. was called to the missionary field where he served in China, in India, and Africa. He gave away his 30,000 pounds to various charities. He felt God's conviction to give up his cricket so he could be a missionary, and so he stepped away from notoriety because he wanted to tell people about Jesus. C.T. Studd's probably most famous quote is this, some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. See, extravagant love 
brings extravagant, excuse me, extravagant forgiveness brings extravagant love. Like this woman with her hair. Like C.T. Studd with his life. This woman knew that forgiven love was greater than fear, greater than shame. This woman knew it. Do you? See, costly love demands a costly response. So what does it mean for you to step out in love? No one can tell it to you. Everyone has a different path. Your path may be different than that of C.T. Studd. It may be different than the person sitting right next to you. But what does it mean to step out in extravagant love? For that woman, it was to enter the Pharisee's house to humiliate herself so that she could give Jesus the best she had. So what about you and me? Have you given him your heart? Have you unbound your hair yet for Jesus Christ? Give him your best, your possessions, your position, your prerogatives that belong to you. Make a decision to stop living for the applause of the crowd, that you might live for Christ, that you might be his hands and feet in a world in which there is great injustice, in which there is a need for people who come in the name of Jesus Christ to be his hands and his feet and his mouth. God's forgiveness comes from his love. So let your love come from his forgiveness. Well, forgiveness brings freedom. Forgiveness brings love. But unforgiveness brings hate. There is another person in this story, is there not? Simon the Pharisee. His response had seen this beautiful act that he regarded as despicable. He said to himself in verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Notice that this unforgiveness brings absolute blindness. She can't see the woman for who she really is. She can't see Jesus. Excuse me, he can't see the woman for who she really is. He can't see Jesus. He's so close, and yet he's so far. And Jesus tells him with this parable, Simon, I have something to tell you. In the language there, basically something's coming. A certain moneylender had two debts. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answers. And Jesus begins to rebuke him by saying all the things that he didn't do. By the way, you never do this uh, or should never do this. It's not polite, right? If somebody doesn't, when they're bringing you into their home and they don't do this, this, and this, But this is the Lord of the universe, and he knows Simon's heart. Why did Simon the Pharisee treat Jesus this way while the woman treated Jesus the exact opposite? It's this statement right here. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he who is forgiven little loves little. Simon has no need, he thinks, of forgiveness. He's fine. He's a Pharisee. He's religious. He checks all the right boxes. It's so ironic that this woman, who is so far away in the culture, was so much closer to the kingdom of God than Simon. And so Simon sees Jesus not as a savior, but as a threat, as an imposter. He wants and needs no part of Jesus, and so Jesus has no part of him. See, in the world, there's only two groups of people in the end. Those who know they are sinners and those who think they have it all together. Jesus came for the first. Who should we pity? The woman? I don't think so. I think we should pity the man. Because all the woman did for Jesus, Jesus did for her. Before this woman washed Jesus' feet, he washed her with his blood. Before this woman anointed Jesus' feet, he anointed her with the Holy Spirit. Before this woman kissed Jesus' feet, Jesus kisses us like a father to a son or a daughter. And Jesus welcomes us to the table. This woman, to be sure, made much of Jesus. But it's because Jesus makes much of us. He is the one that can give you and me dignity, honor, peace, and love. So remember this woman. Because to remember the woman is to remember Jesus. When the world tests you and gives you no kiss and no water for your feet and no oil for your hands, Jesus honors you and gives you dignity and gives you love. So respond. Respond in freedom. Respond in love. God's forgiveness comes from his love. So let your love come from his forgiveness. Never forget who you were. And always remember who you are. This is the blessing of the gospel, which goes on and on and on and on. His grace never fails. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this picture that you've given us in the love of your son, Jesus, who gave so much, who washed us with your blood, who washed us, who kissed us with the kiss of a father to a child. Let us live in the freedom of forgiveness. Let us respond with the boldness of love. Let our hearts not become hardened by this world who has no clue of what is really important in this world. So we thank you and we love you and we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.